First Kings chapter 18 verse 15. Elijah said, As the Lord Almighty lives whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. But you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since they are so many, there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull, given them, and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. O Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's in deep thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time of the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he prepared the altar of the Lord which was in ruins. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes of the descendants of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. 
With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord and dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seers of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the, the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and so licked up the water in the trench. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading. His name be glorified. The sermon today then comes from this reading in 1 Kings chapter 18. And I've titled the sermon, Salvation After Sacrifice. Salvation After Sacrifice. Elijah was one of the giants in the history of the church of God. During his time of prophecy, the church life dropped to an all-time low. It was almost as if he was the only one left. He actually says that he was the only prophet left. There were a hundred of the, men, of the Lord's men, prophets hidden in caves. But at that stage, they were not on the scene. And therefore, they were not worth much for the cause of the kingdom of God. Out of 450 prophets assembled on that day and add to that the 400 of the Asherah the, uh, the prophets of Asherah that's a good number Elijah only was on the side of Jehovah truth cannot be judged by the numbers who confess it the devil has ever had the vast majority on his side up till now and therefore we cannot say that the majority must have it right, and therefore it is right. It can someone, some cases just be one person, almost like in the time of Luther, when he stood before the, the whole Roman church, not even knowing how big and how strong this church was. He stood there and uh, he was the one who said, Here I am, here I stand, so help me God. Luther was right. The rest was wrong. And what is more interesting is the fact that 
I think we need to understand this, that those who have become the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah, his wife, were not people imported from other parts of the world. They were actually Israelites who gave their life to the service of Baal. Amongst them, most probably, prophets who once served the Lord, who now changed their mind to serve Baal. It is an amazing thing to think about that people who once served the living God exchanged that service for a dead idol. (coughs) And the challenge they were put before on that day in Mount Carmel was to see that they would choose who is God. Now was a time when things must be brought to the head. God and Baal brought face to face, as it were, before the whole nation. It was of the utmost importance that the people of Israel should be encouraged from their ungodly indifference that it should be undisputably settled who is the true God entitled to their obedience and worship. It's almost if, like, like, like Paul the day there on the Areopagus when, when he went there and he said, I, I preach to you the unknown God. And then he said, God has ordained a day through that person, Jesus Christ. And, and it is not like you have a choice of gods like we have it today people would like to think that we have a choice of a multiple of multiple gods and and there is a there is a possibility that you might be right and i might be wrong or it might be that you're right and i'm right so let's not upset one another with making choices but it's inevitable there is a choice there is a god with a capital g and there are gods who are imaginations or imaginings of people. And this is where we find ourselves then this morning. God's sovereignty had already been demonstrated by the three years of drought by the word of the prophet. That God would withhold rain at his pleasure and that the prophets of Baal could not reverse it or produce any other thing, rain or dew. I wonder if it ever crossed people's minds that in those three years of complete drought that they should probably go and ask the Baals for it. Maybe they did. Maybe they're still waiting for an answer. You don't know. Because old Baal, you know, he is just an idol. Now the test was needed. A trial by fire. Something Baal worshippers would understand. understand, Since Baal was worshipped as the Lord of the sun. And his worshipper performed their allegiance to him by having their children pass through fire. What an abomination in the sight of God that a parent would take his son and give it to to Baal through fire. 
have it burned as a sacrifice. And even you would like to think that in the three years of drought, maybe there were many sons burned through fire, and yet it was still dry, and there was no answer. It was therefore the challenge with which these prophets could not refuse without acknowledging that they are only imposters. The test by fire was also a lesson for the Israelites on how many a glorious occasion in the past had the Lord answered by fire. We read about that in, in, on, 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 Mount, on Mount Sinai where it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to, to, unto him in a flame of fire in the midst of a bush. I mean, that was with, uh, with Moses at, in the... Uh, in the desert, sorry. And then, of course, there, was, there were other occasions where the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord went before them, Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. The Lord went before them in a day in a pillar of cloud, uh, of a cloud, and lead them in the way. In the night, in a pillar of fire to give them light. God is known as the God of fire. And when the covenant was made and the law was given there on Mount, on, on Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai was all together on smoke. Because the Lord descended upon them in fire, it says. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace. Exodus chapter 19, 18. This too was a sign God gave of His acceptance of the sacrifices which His people offered on the altar. There came a fire from the Lord and consumed the burnt offering upon the altar and the fat. And when all the people saw this, they shouted and fell on their faces. They worshipped God because He is a God of, of fire. Not in the sense that He wanted to destroy them, but fire was a sign of His holiness and His majesty. You might ask, why didn't God answer just straight away? When the people got to Mount Carmel and they were challenged to serve, who would they want to be served? That Elijah would just go straight on his knees and say, Lord, you've given this, this drought for three years, three and a half years, and now would you please take it? Why is it that he didn't do that straight away? Why is it that he didn't ask Lord, give us rain, and the Lord would give rain, and that would be sign enough for the people? The drought was a divine judgment upon the idolatrous country and God's wrath must be settled before His judgment could be averted. And this leads us to the deeper meaning of this remarkable drama there on Mount Carmel. The Bible teaches very clearly, and this is the heart of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, that there can be no reconciliation between the holy God and sinners apart from atonement. There can be no atonement or remission of sins except by the shedding of blood. Divine justice must be satisfied. The penalty of the broken law must be inflicted either on the godly or the, 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 the ungodly uh, uh, person or on the innocent substitute. And this grand and basic truth was unmistakably said before the eyes of the, of the people there assembled on, on Mount Carmel. A bull was killed, cut in pieces, laid upon wood, and he who caused the fire to descend and consume that sacrifice proved himself to be the only God of Israel accepting their sacrifice. The fire of God's wrath must fall either on the guilty people or 
on the animal or would be a substitution for them. Fire descending from heaven on the sacrificial victim was not only a manifestation of God's holy wrath, but it was a manifestation of His grace that He would forgive, that He would give Forgive because of the blood of that animal. Therefore, as it was on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended, appearing as divided tongues of fire. In his explanation of what happened that day, Peter said, This Jesus, as God raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out that which you see and hear now. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified, Lord and Christ. Now the gift of the Spirit as tongues like, like fire was evidence of God's acceptance of Christ's atoning sacrifice, of His forgiveness, of His empowerment, of Him making them His people. And it is by that fire that He shall deal with those who do not believe. Because it says there, He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of God and from the majesty of His power. And then that verse, the Son of Man, Matthew chapter 13, the Son of Man will send out His angels and they will weed out of His, out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And they will throw them into a fiery furnace where they will be, weep, they will be weeping and a gnashing of teeth. And then that verse in Hebrews chapter 2.29 where it says, Our God is a consuming fire. Our ministry then should point to the atoning death of the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ as the only way to heaven. It is not a possible way to heaven. It is not a choice amongst choices. It is the only way to heaven. Anything less then this would not be the gospel of God. Like Elijah, our life must be a prayer-driven life, trusting in the one we pray to. God answers prayer, but if our prayer life is sterile and dead, our worship is not much different from the Baal priests. Although they prayed with fervor, it availed nothing. If our life is not sanctified by the Holy Spirit as one sent by God after the acceptance of the sacrifice of our Lord and Jesus Christ, then our life is not much different from the life of the worshippers of Baal. Do we understand this? Because that's important. 
And Elijah then put the focus upon God. Elijah did not mean to draw attention to himself when he called the sacrifices to be made. It should not be the intention of any minister or, or any Christian. The main point in Elijah's life was the glory of God, that the unbelieving Israel would now bow before God and know Him as their Lord. What Elijah did was not just in, was just in accordance with the Word of God. It was for the salvation of the people. He therefore, in the first instance, prayed for God to change the hearts and the minds of the people so that they would worship Him. And maybe we should ask and pray the same as we sing in that verse, turn our hearts back to you again. And Elijah acknowledged that he couldn't do it. It was not in his power to change the hearts of the people. That's God's work. But he prayed for it to happen. How many times do we hear the invitation to a service where people can, can expect to see miracles? Some also then states where miracles do not happen, people will not believe. And, and, and there's a huge push these days to say, well, let's do some miracles in the church. Because if we do miracles in the church, people will come into the church. What do you think of that? People will come for the miracles, yes, and then they'll go. But if God does not turn around the hearts of people to follow Him through the preaching of His Word, nothing will happen. And therefore it should, and it should remain the focus of our, of our church life is the Word of God and prayer, so that in prayer we would ask God to turn around the hearts of people. And He would do that as He would open their hearts through the work of His Spirit for the preaching of the teaching of His Word, which will become to them the light for their path and indeed the bread of life from which they will live. Some preachers assume the role of God and then demand Him just perform whatever they ask for as if he was some sort of a slot machine. I've been to places where I should have actually, I, I should have gotten up and walked out, where people would pray, and their prayer would be nothing else but a command, Lord, you do this. And we don't command the Lord. He's not there for us. We are made for him. The attention is then on the preacher. And the more he performs his act of magic, and the more invitation he, invitations he gets to do the same in other places, he goes and he becomes a huge preacher. People flock to see him and the, and the miracle. But in some cases, they've not heard the Bible expounded. And in many cases, the minister becomes more important than Christ. It was so much different with Elijah. After the prophets of Baal performed their gymnastics without avail, Elijah just prayed in the stillness of the evening. And he didn't pray much. O oh Lord, 
God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who was this God? It's the God of the covenant. It's the God of his people. A God that he, he, he put his name on the people. It is his people. And now Elijah said, Lord, these people are yours. Let it be known today that you are God in Israel. And that I'm your servant. And I've done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me. Why? So that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God. And you are turning their hearts back again. Not only was the prayer for drought a prayer at the command of the Lord, so that Elijah would not get the blame for it, but also the sacrifice on the altar and the call to repentance, the call to stop wavering, was an act of humble submission to the command of the Lord. As he trusted God in the first prayer to withhold the rain, now he trusted God that would answer his prayer for the salvation of the people. He would have the Baal priest the first go because he knew that Baal wouldn't listen and he couldn't listen because he's dead. Therefore, it was in essence a non-event. And they did all the things that we know they did. And um, they did their dances along the altar. And when that didn't help, they took the swords and they started cutting themselves. You're getting a bit desperate here. Nothing works. Our God is... Where is he? Is he asleep? Maybe maybe Elijah's correct. Or or maybe he's on holidays. Or uh, maybe he's deaf. We're getting desperate here. And all along the focus was on the people around and the miracle. But when Elijah took the turn, and when he then bowed, it was not on him. It was not on the people. It was on nothing else. I think if you were there that day, and if I were there, we would probably see in Elijah a very humble figure bowing, maybe hiding his head, and then just prayed. And God answered him. And do you see what happens here? God accepted his sacrifice. He accepted the sacrifice given. And then the hearts of the people are turned to God. And what happened then? And only then did the rain come. It was not like the rain came just because Elijah said, Lord, I 
Would you please answer my prayer and take away the drought? The Lord took away the drought because the people repented to him and because he accepted that sacrifice. And that is where we find ourselves today. That is where we preach the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was the only one. And that's why the Apostle Paul stood in, on the Areopagus that day. And that's why he then could say, God who created the heavens and the earth, you don't know him yet, but he has revealed himself in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there, there might have been times in the past that you would say, well, I don't know that anymore, but now you know that. And there will be a time that the world will be judged by him whom God raised from the dead. God has done all these things. The sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ was accepted. And therefore, he says he's not after us doing our own thing. He's after us serving him. He wants our hearts. And that he changes through the work of his spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. And this is where you and I stand today. When we're challenged with the gospel, and we'll get there next week, when we're challenged with the gospel, Lord willing, then we say, I, I challenge you with the gospel because the Lord Jesus Christ, his sacrifice was accepted. I challenge you with the gospel because I pray that God's word and God's spirit will change your heart. And you go out from here and you challenge people with the gospel because you pray that God will change their heart. And you can pray that because Jesus Christ and his sacrifice was, was, was they were good enough. Let's not just go out there and say, okay, well, it's all over. It's about time for, for the rain to come back. You know, it's another 10 years or 70 years. Have you heard how many cycles we could go through? You know, seven-year cycles. And Well, that didn't work because we've gone through the seven years and that didn't work. So the latest one I heard was, now no, it's 11-year cycle. Uh, well, 11 years have gone and, and that doesn't work. Now, the latest one that I read about is 280-year cycle. Now, Elijah didn't know anything about cycles. The only thing he knew about was the Lord, his will, the sin of the people, their hearts to be changed. The Lord do that, and he brought a sacrifice, and the Lord did that. Give your heart to God because of Christ. Give your life to him. And live a life of obedience through his spirit. Amen. Our Father, we thank you for the history of Elijah. We thank you, Father, that it is so, it's so true of our day too. But we thank you most of all for the Christ, your son Jesus, who is our Lord. So, Father, now we stand before you in prayer of confession of sin. And we pray, Lord, please forgive us. Forgive us when we, when we only think of you as the one who would give the rain. Forgive us, Lord, if we think that you are there to, to assist us through this world. Not knowing and understanding that you've created us for your glory and not for ourselves. 
We pray, Lord, that you will turn our hearts to you and that indeed you will turn the hearts of this nation to yourself. O oh Lord, only you can do that. And, and like Elijah prayed today, we pray here as Lord, hear our prayer so that the people will know that you are the God of heaven and earth who revealed yourself in Christ Jesus. Amen. The Lord says, Come now, let us reason together. For your sins are like scarlet. They shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you've come to the Lord in that, then you can sing, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Hymn number five. Four, seven.